wife didn't have her morning coffee by lunchtime, she was complaining of a real bad headache because she, she, she enjoys her coffee. And that's what I thought, oh, because I don't probably drink as much coffee as she does throughout the day, but oh, if this is what caffeine does to my body, I'm never putting caffeine in this body again. I've stood strong for six weeks, so I haven't even been drinking Coke, although I did crack the other night and I did have a, a, a Coke. But um, anyway, I'm not saying caffeine's from the devil. Please don't walk out of here and say, Alan said caffeine's of the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it, it, it does a devil of a job on my head when I don't have it. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, turn with me please to Matthew 25. <laughs> I've had a really difficult week this week, difficult week at work, uh, difficult week with what's going on with, with, within the, my, my grandfather. But the worst part about this week has been trying to get together what I feel is on my heart for this morning. So uh, I got out of bed early this morning thinking I'll just sit with God as I usually do. I, I get up early the morning before and just sit with God and make sure that I'm, I'm hearing right and, and, and if I'm not, then I'll panic and have to come up with something else in a couple of hours. But usually it's pretty good and I'll tweak it and put it together. And I, of course, I got out of bed this morning, same thing, going, God, I, I thought I was heading down this road here, but I, I don't know. I feel like maybe you're wanting to head down this road. So I sat down to work it all out and then I got the phone call to run to the hospital. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, what I'm about to say makes sense. And I'm hoping that uh, God uses it and I'm hoping that somebody walks away and gets something out of it. So, Father, we just uh, pray right now, God. We, we ask that you'd open up our hearts. Uh, Father, I pray you'd give me the words to speak. Uh, Lord, I pray that each of us would uh, take out of today, Father, what you have for us, Lord. That, um, uh, God, the, the voice of the enemy would be silenced. Father, that we wouldn't be distracted with this, that and the other. We wouldn't be worrying about lunch. But, Father, we'd just be able to focus in on what it is that you're trying to say to each of us this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 25, if you can turn there uh, with me, please. I'm going to flick. I don't normally have notes for anything. I just walk back and forth, but I just feel like today I need to try to the best of my ability to stick to what I've got here. So uh, it, is, it is a bit um, funny being here too, by the way, because you, I like to connect with people. So I find when I come here, I'm trying to eyeball you, but then I'm trying to eyeball everyone over here too and it'd be, be nice to either me have bigger eyes or be a bit more condensed but um, Matthew 25 we all know the story it's the parable of the talents the whole discourse actually begins in Matthew 24 if you go back to Matthew 24 Jesus makes this statement to his disciples he basically tells them that Jerusalem you know the temple is going to come down and so his disciples go to him on the quiet and say First of all, can you tell us when the temple is going to be destroyed? And then can you tell us when you're going to return? And so Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are all linked. Everything you read there is all linked. It's, 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 ans- it's an answer to this simple question that the disciples have asked. And Jesus goes, goes through the destruction of the temple. He, he, he talks about signs of the time and what to look for and what to expect and what the world's going to be like before the return of Christ. Uh, <laughs> And then he personalises it and he talks about the expectation of God on people. This is what you should be doing. How many of you know that it's not our job to predict to the world when Jesus will return? How many times, especially probably in the last 20 years, has there been a book written or a preacher get up or a prophet get up and they've already told us when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, who the Antichrist is, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. You know, it it beggars belief to me that people actually listen to that because there's one very clear thing that Jesus said. He said, only the Father knows. Now, if Jesus himself didn't know, I'm not sure that, that Prophet Thomas uh, Bigelow or whatever 
knows. I'm not sure that this person over here knows, but yet we're still forking out thousands of dollars for their books and their tapes and everything like that. But the point is that nobody knows when Christ is going to return. And Jesus made it very clear, don't worry about that. That's not your problem. That's not your issue. It's not something that you should be consumed with. And then he goes on and he shares a couple of parables about virgins and their lamps and a master returning and they run out and some of them had oil in their lamps and some didn't. Some were prepared, some were ready. And then he goes on to this parable of the talents. And in each parable he's talking about life here in the kingdom of God now. Don't worry about when I'm going to return. Worry about now. What are you doing with the life and the opportunities and the time that you have right now? Every one of us have been given a life. Every one of us have been given opportunity. And that's basically what the talent represents. A talent, uh, the ancient uh, Greek word for talent is talenton. What it actually was, was the equivalent to 6,000 days wages back in the day. So when we read here, one guy got one talent, one got two, one got five. The guy that got one talent, in today's economy, in a monetary term, he got 1.2 million Australian dollars. So don't feel sorry for him. What he had still had great value. And each of our lives have great value. Jesus is not talking about money. He's not interested in the money. The Bible, the story goes like this, that a master was going away to a far land. And it says that that master took his possessions... For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. First of all, he called his own servants. Let's make it very clear. The one talent, the two talent, the five talent man, they're all his servants. Okay? They weren't people outside of his fold. They were people sitting in church on Sunday, worshipping God, people who, who called on the name of Jesus. All three of these people, they're all his servants. Okay, And the Bible says that he delivered his goods to them. He gave them his goods. What they were in possession of was valuable because it came from him. It came from him. He gave it to them. That gave it inherent value. Your life has inherent value in it. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter what your background has been. It doesn't matter your financial situation, doesn't matter your uh, uh, you know, gender, your size, your colour. None of that is relevant in the sense and context of value. You are valuable. The life that God breathed into you was a valuable life, important life. It's a significant life, a very significant life. And it came from him. I don't know what you think about yourself. I don't know what you think about your life. I don't know what you think about when you're all alone by yourself and you reflect and you look at who you are and and what you've achieved and so on. But the truth is, your life is significant and your life is valuable. And he goes on and he says, To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his own ability. So there's this innate ability that each of these people had. Call it maybe your personality. Call it DNA. Call it whatever you want. But the thing is, the master knew that about them. He gave them a life. And he gives them opportunity within that life. Every one of us have opportunity. As long as there's breath in your lungs, 
you have opportunity. Okay? You have opportunity. You have choices that you can make. You have decisions that you can make. You have directions that you can take. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you are carrying this incredibly important and significant commodity called life. And what Jesus is getting at here in this parable, and as we see the parable go on, the question is, what are you doing with that life? What are you doing for the sake of the kingdom of God with your life? He starts off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. And you go back to the previous parables and they're all the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. These are all images and pictures of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who called his servants, gave them his goods, entrusted something to them, went away and then came back later on and sat them all down and said, now what have you done with that which I have given you? We've been given life, and it's incredibly significant. You know, every decision and every choice that you make doesn't just affect you. You know, it has a ripple effect. Every decision that you make and I make has a ripple effect. If we want to look at things from a kingdom perspective, go back to the children of Israel, and we look at what God tried to achieve with the nation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, God had a desire to set apart a people for himself. He wanted those people to love and serve him only so that he could bless them in such a way that all the other nations of the earth would look at those people and go, the God that you guys follow must be true. We can't deny it because look at the blessing on this nation. Now, I'm not saying that that blessing was five houses and three cars and a billion dollars in the back. I'm not saying the fancy shirts and I'm not saying that that's the blessing. But what I am saying is it's obvious from the Old Testament, whatever that blessing was, it was evident to those outside of Israel. It was evident to those looking from the outside in. These guys had something different. How many of you have non-church friends or family and they can just see in you there's something different? And they come up and they go, I don't know what it is, but this is, I just want to hang with you, mate. There's just something different about you. I used to go down to the, um, the uh, uh, Cherry Street Bowling Club on a Saturday night and I used to go down there and watch me Super Saturday every Saturday when, when, it was, you know, when the kids or Jackie were busy. And I'd go down and I'd just watch three rugby league games back to back because I love me rugby league. And I used to go down the Cherry Street Bowling Club and I, I can't tell you the amount of times I had people come up to me, I didn't even know them strangers because they'd just see me watching the footy and be a bit passionate and, and they'd come up and they'd just go, I don't know what it is about you but I just want to, is it okay? I just want to sit with you and watch the footy. So, yeah, no worries, you know. That's okay, that's fine. I don't know if it was because they, you know, I was being a, a bit of an idiot cheering, screaming or they were comforting me because my team never won. Um, but the point is we've all had those situations and we've all seen those people, you know. So, so I'm not just saying that that thing is material blessing because I believe it's more than that. Mind you, I do believe that, 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 that you know, if God gives you the option to be rich or poor, take rich, it's better. I haven't felt it, but I'm sure it's better. It looks better to me. Uh, if God gives you options, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with accumulating wealth, nothing wrong with, with achieving in business, achieving in life, nothing wrong with any of that. The point is this, God wants to get a race, a nation, a group of people that will love him and commit to him so that he is free to pour out his blessing upon those people. Is that right? And that's what we're seeing happen in this parable here. 
we're seeing these guys get entrusted something from the master. And then it was up to them to do something with that which they were given. Have you ever wondered what did God do on the eighth day? What about the twelfth day? What did God do on the twelfth day? 37th day, what did God do? And maybe he took two weeks off after the first six because it was pretty tiring, you know? But eventually he probably went back to work. What did he do on the 133rd day? An interesting thing takes place in the Bible. If you read the first six days of creation, God said, you know, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was. was. When it comes to man, he didn't say let there be, he said let us make. Let us make. Everything else, it was just let there be, let, there, let us make. And he creates man, and he creates man in his own image. And then what does he do? He gives man a task, doesn't he? Look after this place, this garden. Have dominion, authority, rulership over the animals and over all this. Creation is an ongoing process. God is still creating. Did you know that? God hasn't finished creating. But the time that man was created, he changed the way that he created. He'd finished creating everything in its tangible form, in its hard form. He'd done the hard copy. But he continued to create from that moment on, but he creates in partnership with mankind. He creates in partnership with you and me. God is doing things in my world. He's creating things in my world, but he does it in partnership with me. Everything was going perfectly smooth until man got involved. Now, God, if he didn't want to work in partnership with man, could just go, well, forget all that. I'm just going to make the world perfect anyway in spite of you all, but he doesn't. Because creation continues, but it's now a work, a co-working between man and God. God wants me to live out my life according to his principles and his ways. Why does he want me to do that? Because when I do that, I put myself in a place where he can bless that. When I do relationships right, the way God wants me to do relationships, right? That puts me in a, in a position in that relationship where God can intervene and God can do the God stuff. I, I create that part by doing what God wants me to do, living by those principles and guidelines, and God does the other stuff. When I have my finances, how I handle my finances, if I handle my finances by God's principles and guidelines, then I put myself in a position where God then goes, I can bless that, and then God does the other stuff on top of that. When I treat my children and my wife the way that by godly principles and the way God wants me to, it puts me in a position where God can then bless that and God can do something with that. When I choose not to live by God's principles, I take myself out of that place and God can't bless that. God is bound by his own principles. God is bound by his own character. He set this world up to function in a certain way. Okay? I can't breathe underwater. 
I can't go outside those natural principles. I know you're thinking some people can talk underwater. (laughs) But the point is, I wouldn't dare go outside the natural principles of creation because I know it won't work for me. I'm not going to jump off a 10-storey building and try to defy gravity and work against natural principles and expect to be blessed by God. I'm going to end up about that tall and about six foot wide. We're smart enough not to go outside the boundaries of God's principles and God's ways when it comes to the natural world. And it works the same in the kingdom of God. It works the same on a spiritual level. When we choose to align ourselves with God's ways and we live our life by God's principles, we put ourselves in a position where we get to experience the miraculous. We get to experience uh, the things that we read about in the Bible. We get to see the stuff of God. How many times did Israel whinge and complain to God? Oh, God, you've left us. Why aren't you? Blah, blah, blah. And God would say, well, you've walked away from me. You're not following me anymore. The book of Judges is this, if you read it's a cycle. It's like a wheel. It starts off here with the children of Israel loving God and worshipping God and God blesses them. Then it moves around to here where the children of Israel turn to other gods and God's hand gets withdrawn. Not because God doesn't love them, not because God doesn't want to bless them, not because God doesn't care, but because they have taken themselves underwater and they're trying to breathe and it doesn't work. So then they go through, uh, they usually get overrun by the Babylonians or some other nation overtakes them. And they're in captive and they're enslaved. Then they cry out to God. One day somebody picks up a Bible and goes, oh, hang on a second, idiot. We're not doing it the way God said. We're not worshipping Jesus. Ah, okay. So they call out to, to God, and then God comes and hears them, and he saves them, and he sets them free, and he restores blessing to them and so on. And then what happens down the track? They forget again. Oh, we love this God over here. Oh, we go after him. Before you know it, they're underwater again trying to breathe, and it doesn't work. They get overrun by something. It's a cycle. And our lives can be like that too. We can choose to not live by the principles of God. We can choose to not subject ourselves to the way that God says that we should do things. And we can do it for various different reasons. We can do it because we think we know better. We can do it because we just feel like it's just too hard. We can do it because we actually, deep down inside, don't believe. That's a big one with finances. Finances is a very tangible thing, you know. And I know this because I've, I, when I, that's been a, a, a touchy point for me uh, for a lot of my life. In the early days in Christianity, before I really got a revelation that I can't outgive God, I, I would get a little bit. And I was raised in a family where when you got your money, hang on to it as long as you can because you don't know when the next bit of money is going to come in. That's how I was raised. So I'd get money and I'd hang on to it and 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 hang on to it until I almost had it snatched out of my hands. Then I'd be stressing out, oh, where's the next bit coming from? Oh, there, and hang on to it, hang on to it, hang on to it. Till one day God says, open up your hands. Start giving, be generous, start tithing, start looking for the needs of others and helping. And all of a sudden you realize that as quick as you give it out, that God knows your needs. He might not always give me money, but when we were living in India, um, we used to have people, Indians, knocking on our door with with bags of fruit and vegetables and groceries and stuff. People who knew nothing about uh, our financial situation or anything, but we just knew that we had to do what God had said and we'd give away our last bit of money and we're stuck in the middle of India with... You know, no means of income, no money, no nothing, crying out to God. And it was amazing. God will come through all the time because God always, always, always supports his principles and his people. When we live life the way that he has called us to live life. In the parable here, it goes on and it says, To one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to their own ability. Then he would receive the five talents, went and traded with them. And he made another five talents. Likewise, he would receive two, gain two more. He would receive one, went and dug it in the ground, hid his Lord's money. 
God that got five went out there and he did something with what was entrusted to him. He went out there and I, I, I'm, I'm very confident that he wasn't out there uh, buying a shotgun so he could rob a bank and get more money. Okay? He wasn't out there buying drugs and selling drugs so he could get more money. Whatever he was doing, he was doing it in line with the master, in line with what he was commissioned to do. He was doing it within the principles and boundaries of the master. And he got more. He went to work with what he had and he did something with what he had. And when he does something with what you have and you do it in line with God and you do it within God's principles and you do it because the master's given you something and he wants you to use it, whatever God's given you, it's to be used. It's not just to sit stagnant and keep it for yourself. And God wants us to be active. The kingdom of God is actually about action. And God wants people to take action. God wants people to do things. That's how the kingdom of God advances, when we do things. You know, we can sit around and pray about stuff for our whole life, and I'm all for prayer, but at some point you've got to get up out of your chair and do something. I can pray for my friends till I'm blue in the face that they'll come to know Christ. At some point, because I have a relationship with them, I've got to open my mouth and say, you know what, I want to tell you something. I can, I can, I can pray, God, give me, the, you know, give me the gift of healing for the sick, so I can pray for the sick so that at some point I'm going to have to go and lay my hands on a sick person and see what happens. It's about action. It's about putting to use that which God's given us. And we have a life and it's valuable and it's important. And God wants us to, within the principles and guidelines of God, take that life and do something with it. Do something that's outside of ourselves. Do something that will build the kingdom of God. You know we're not trying to win a war as Christians. We're not trying to win a war. Our job is simply to enforce a victory that's already taken place 2,000 years ago. I'm not trying to live by the principles of God and the guidelines of God and do what God's called us to do so that if I do it long enough and hard enough and well enough, something will break and all of a sudden we'll win the battle. We've already won the battle. What we do now is we enforce that victory by going, you know what, I will live the way God wants me to live. I will make my choices within the boundaries of God's principles and God's values. And even though it might not work out there in society, I know that if I live my life like that, I will have victory. I know if I live my life like that, there will be fruit from it. I know if I live my life like that, my five talents are going to earn another five. If I live my life like that, my two talents are going to earn another two. Unless, of course, we're like that guy that got the one talent. who buried it in the ground. The reason he did that was because he said, I knew that you were a hard man. I know that you reap where you don't sow. I know that. In other words, God knew him, but he didn't really know God. He was still a servant. He still sat in church. He still would have heard some good stuff. But he outworked his life a little bit differently because he didn't really understand the Father. He didn't really understand the heart of God. And so he did nothing with what he had. And as a result of doing nothing with what you have, you'll get nothing in return. If you do nothing with what you have, you are going to get nothing in return. If you do nothing about your situation, nothing is going to change. If you do nothing to advance your life, your life will not advance. 
If you do nothing to get to know God, you'll struggle to get to know God. If you do nothing about establishing a prayer life, you won't establish a prayer life. If you do nothing about establishing some sort of routine to get into the Word of God, you won't establish a routine to get into the Word of God. If you do nothing about making your business more successful, you won't make your business more successful. If you do nothing about improving your relationship with your husband or your wife, you won't improve your relationship with your husband or your wife. It's a simple principle. Doing nothing creates nothing. Doing something creates something. These guys took what was given to them and two of them did something with it. And in the process of that, as you read on, the master changes his tone. In the beginning, he calls his servants. They do something with what they have. Then he says, now I'm going to make you a ruler. Over much. They went from slaves to rulers because they took what was given to them and they did something with it. You know, when I was brought up, I, my mum and dad sort of got together and had a couple of kids and went their separate ways. Um, my mother was a gypsy. Uh, she didn't wear a turban on her head and we didn't ride on a camel in a cart, but she was a gypsy. We travelled all around. I remember in year seven, I went to seven different high schools in the state of New South Wales, from Ballina right down to Sydney, inland to Mudgee. I went to seven high schools, Newcastle, all over the place because she would just had this transient lifestyle, couldn't settle down, wasn't happy with who she was, was chasing after things. And so we moved all over the place, every, every, everywhere. Um, I wasn't breastfed as a child either, by the way. And I, I think these days that's a common excuse that can get me out of a lot of dramas with the law, apparently. Um, well, let's face it. We live in a world which does not encourage personal responsibility. You've only got to watch the legal shows on TV. You know, LA, I don't know, not LA Law, it's probably not anymore, but all the legal shows. And you've got a guy in prison, he's done the most grotesque of crimes, and there's a judge there, a, a, a lawyer there, who's actually trying to get him off by saying, well, he wasn't breastfed as a child. He couldn't suck his thumb in his cradle because he was left-handed and he didn't have a thumb on that one. And the judge goes, oh, well, let him go then. Case dismissed. Go back out there in society, son. We don't live in a world that encourages responsibility. I was talking to um, uh, my auntie this morning up at the hospital about another auntie of mine, and, 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 and we don't see her a lot. She's a, a bit sort of removed from, from the rest of the family. Um, but her daughter has, has gotten pregnant and, and, and you know, out of marriage and, and was really young and not a great situation, got pregnant, and now what she's done is she's gone out and got pregnant again to another guy, a separate guy, and the reason she's been able to do that is because my auntie has taken her first child and is raising the first child for her. So she just comes in when she wants to to see the kid. It's like, well, no wonder people go on doing this stuff because she's not learning any responsibility. You have a child, there's a responsibility that goes with that. But if somebody takes that responsibility away from you, then you're just making it easy for that person to go on and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. You know, as Christians, we should be really, really big on personal responsibility. We should be really big on personal responsibility. You know what responsibility is? I'll give you my definition of responsibility. It's maintaining the ability to respond. It's maintaining the ability to respond. If I give away responsibility, what I'm saying is my hands are tied. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I can't change. And whatever happens to me, I'm at the mercy of you. Or I'm at the mercy of you. Or I'm at the mercy of the circumstance or the situations. We're not at the mercy of anything other than God. We need to take personal responsibility for our lives. 
And as long as we maintain that place of personal responsibility, if we step outside the bounds of God, guess what? We won't make excuses. We won't say, oh, you're a hard man. It was all your fault. I wasn't breastfed. I wasn't. We will go, God did the wrong thing. Sorry, I repent. We'll get back on track and we'll move forward. And we'll achieve and we'll succeed and we'll do the things that God's called us to do. We'll make the most of this life that he's given us. We'll build the kingdom of God. Every time I live by the principles of God, I build a little bit more of the kingdom of God around me. Every time I choose not to live by God's ways, I allow the enemy to take a little bit of possession and ground back. He hasn't rolled over and died. He's still fighting. He knows he's lost the battle, but he's still fighting. Every time I make choices to do things God's way, I build another building block. Everyone play with Lego when you were kids. It's like getting a, a little uh, Lego piece and putting another Lego piece of the kingdom of God in there. And you build that into your life. And you build it into your life. And you build it into your life. Because you take responsibility. Unlike this guy that got the one. The biggest principle I get out of this, and this has been a mainstay for me in my life. I got this revelation years ago when I was reading this. And God said this to me. He said, Alan, you might not have determined where you started, but you can determine where you finish. Some of us may have started out life with one talent. You may feel like you don't have a lot. I relate really well to the two-talent guy, actually. You know, the one-talent guy is the woe is me, I've got nothing. The five-talent guy is the high-flying successful guy. I'm more the two-talent guy. I'm kind of in the middle. What I love about the two-talent guy, he didn't sit there and go, two? Well, you got five. What's wrong? Why did you give me five? I only got two. He didn't whinge and complain about it. He didn't sit there and look down at the one talent guy and go, twice as much as you, brother, I'm better than you. He just took the two and went, right, yeah, this is what I've got. This is what's before me. This is the life that I've been handed right now. I can change it. I can change this life, but I've got to do something to change it. You might feel like your job's no good and you want a better job. Well, you know what? Are you qualified for another job? No? Get some qualifications then. Do a TAFE course. Read some books. Uh, do a university course. You can change your life. You can improve the place that you are in life right now. You can do it. But none of us will do anything about our life until we take personal responsibility. I don't have a great relationship with my mother. I was telling you that at the start. But you know what? I've got to take personal responsibility for my part in that. When it comes to relationships, the other person might be 99% responsible and you're 1% responsible. And that's, that could be the fact. But guess what? You are 100% responsible for your 1%. We've got to have that level of personal responsibility in our world. I'll just get you guys to come on back. What I felt like this morning that God wanted to say was this, that we need to take personal responsibility for our world. We need to have personal responsibility for our life, but not just for my life and what benefits me. But we need to develop a kingdom mentality and think about what benefits the kingdom as well. You are valuable and precious and you have so much more inside of you, we all do, than what we even realise. And God's just waiting for us to step out in faith. Make a decision. Make a choice. Make a change. Point ourselves in a direction. Whatever it is, God is just hanging for us to do that.
so that all the resources of heaven can be poured out on us and go, that's the choice I've been waiting for. That's the decision I've been waiting for. Might not have been an easy decision, might not be an easy choice, but that's what I've been waiting for you to do. And when we do that, God comes in. It's like anyone, anyone a surfer here? Anyone surf? Anyone fish? Any fishermen here? Fisher ladies? Wow, I didn't know that. It wouldn't be. Okay. Try. I, I do both. I surf and fish. But you know what? I haven't, don't surf a lot lately with all the sharks and that. But you know what? When you go surfing, you're paddling out the back. And there's waves everywhere. They're everywhere. But if you're sitting in a spot and no waves are coming through because it's a flat patch, but over here are 15 guys catching a wave every 10 seconds, you can either sit there on the back of the board, out in the back of the ocean, whinging, complaining that they're getting all the waves, or you can do a little bit of work. Turn your board around, paddle across there, and get yourself in position. You can be fishing somewhere and not getting a bite. 15 metres over that way are three boats and they're just pulling in fish after fish after fish. You can sit there, whinge and complain about it. You can even stay where you are, go home and say, oh, it was a terrible fishing day today, not many fish about. That's not true. There were fish about. You just weren't prepared to put yourself in a position to catch them. God has so many things that he wants to do. There are healings waiting to, to be released on planet Earth. There are salvations, people waiting to come into the kingdom of God. There are nations waiting to be reached waiting for people to go over there, lay everything down and say, I'm going to go over there, God, use me. Here am I. There are finances to resource the kingdom of God and the mission of God, waiting to be received. God's there waiting, just waiting for people with the right attitude, the right heart, positioning themselves for the right reasons to release it. There's so much stuff going on in the spiritual realm and God's waiting for us to take personal responsibility for our part in that, my role in that, in the bigger picture. And I feel like God's been challenging me and, and my wife. She can't be here today. She had, had to work this morning. But we're just feeling re-challenged by God along those lines. I'm not happy just to have a good life. That's great. I don't feel any pressure. But there's something inside going, God, there's more. God, there's more to it. And I want to position myself. But I'm not going to position myself till I take personal responsibility for life put myself in that place where God can do the God stuff because that's what I want what do you want I want a life that sees the God stuff because it's so much more fun (laughs) and so much more fulfilling to know that I've partnered with him and something's happened Father we just thank you this morning God thank you for uh, your word Lord God I pray that each of us here that uh, Father we we, are, we have been shaped and formed and created to be who we are by so many things, Lord. And most of those things from an early age were outside of our control. We had no control over those things. We were victims at one point, God. But, but Father, I thank you, Lord, that as we grow up and as we mature and as we get to know you and as we link ourselves up with you, God, we go from being victims to victors. Father, we go from being those that are controlled to being those in control. Father, we go from those that have no options to those that actually have opportunity thrust before them by you. God, we may not have determined where we started, but we do know by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can determine where we finish this life and where we finish this race. 
And God, I pray for each of us here, Lord, as we walk away today, Father, it wouldn't just be a case of going on with the rest of the day. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would challenge us. God, just even pick one area, one little area of our life, God, where we are not positioning ourselves, God, where we're not taking personal responsibility. Challenge us just with one little area that we can walk out of here and make this not just a message and words in a book, but make this a practical expression. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. It's 12 o'clock. It is hot in this room at the moment. We're going to finish up there. If anybody would like prayer for any reason, um, please hang around. If you don't know me and you don't trust me, grab someone that you do trust and get them to pray for you. Okay? It's great to be a part of the body of Christ. And it's great when everybody in that body does their part because that's how the church grows you. Okay? If you don't know Jesus in this place, I'm pretty confident you all do. I I know most of your faces. if you don't, or if you're struggling with some stuff, or you're not sure about some things, uh, please, please come and have a chat. Um, come and get some prayer, whatever. Otherwise, you're free to go. I think there's tea and coffee over here. There's a flower on the table there too, if anyone likes flowers. I don't think you meant to take that, but it's there anyway. God bless. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week. And don't forget, Jim said to let you all know in a couple of weeks' time he's going to be making some announcement. Okay? Jeez. God bless.